Good morning. My name is Spencer Brose. I'm the other new pastor here at St. Stephen's Church. And it is a blessing to be among you today. We're trying out a new microphone too, so so far, so good. A little bit of feedback. Today our scripture is from the book of Joshua, first chapter, verses one through six. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joseph, Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west, shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been the, the backup person in an organization or the, the next person to step in into kind of a leadership role, whether it was a, I don't know, baseball team, softball team, um, HOA, I don't know, anything. It doesn't have to be anything big. It can be anything. You step into a role, and all of a sudden, everything that had been the plans of others now becomes yours to take care of. As United Methodist pastors, we know a little bit about that. Every time we move, we step into a place, and all of your plans now become ours. And, and we hitch our wagons to yours, and, and we learn about your, your mission. We learn about your values. We learn about what's important to you and about um, where you see God working in your lives and where you see God working in and through the church. That's one of the wonderful things that we get to enjoy as we, as we come to a church. We spend a lot of time listening and learning. We, we, we don't, we're learning names, but we don't know you yet. And we don't even know all the names yet. So keep telling us your names. I forgot my name tag today. Listening and learning so that we can understand what is important to the ministry here. So that we can see what God is already doing in and through the church. And so that maybe we can help you see other things that God might be doing among you and could be doing through you. It's one of the one of the neat things about um, being the next in line of leadership. That's where Joshua finds himself in this passage. He was next. Maybe he looked like the backup. Maybe the people of Israel, as they were following Moses, they got to the door—not real door, but the just the entrance of of the promised land, and Moses is not there to lead them. I don't know if they knew the plan, but God had already put into place this plan of Joshua to follow Moses in leadership. And we see throughout the Exodus story 
As much as we hear, well, we hear so much about Moses and the other leaders of Israel, we every once in a while get a glimpse of this one called Joshua. So Joshua has to take over this, this mission, this vision. And, it's, and the mission is one, I believe, that started way back with Abraham. Is that I will make of you a great nation and through you and bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham when he first gave them the promised land. That was the mission that remained the mission, but their situation kept changing. And when they found themselves leaving Egypt, having been slaves there, headed back towards their homeland, they didn't know that mission anymore. We talk about the 40 years that Moses spent with the Israelites in the desert. It doesn't take 40 years on foot, even with an, a, an incredible amount of people, to walk from the Red Sea to the Jordan River. It doesn't take that long. What took 40 years was not just to leave Egypt physically behind, but they had to leave Egypt mentally and emotionally behind so that they could reclaim their identity as children of the one true God, the one that had called their ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who had led Moses back to Egypt to bring them out, who led them through the desert, to put their trust back in him to remember who they are. It's almost the stage one of, of the vision, vision of Exodus here. The stage one was leaving. They were leaving physically Egypt and they left uh, emotionally and mentally left Egypt behind. But the next couple stages were Joshua's to take over, to re-enter Canaan and to retake the promised land. I don't know who had it easier. I don't think either one of I know neither one of them had it easy. But Joshua was following up on not only the mission that had been handed initially to Abraham, but the, the vision that God had handed to Moses to lead the Israelites back to the land that he had given to them in the first place. The first place we hear about Joshua is shortly after the crossing of the Red Sea. God had made sure they had food, the manna from heaven had fallen, but then they were finding themselves at odds with a Malachites. Their first non-Egyptian enemies. And Moses appoints Joshua to choose men to battle the Amalekites. And this, if you may, you may know the story, this is the story where as long as Moses kept his hands and staff raised, they were winning, but as they fell, they were losing. So they ended up propping his arms up. And the, that verse ends in Joshua and his men defeated the Amalekites. But really... It was God who defeated the Amalekites through Joshua. Later on, we see as Moses goes up to the Mount of God to receive the law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, his assistant, his minister, as is said in some verse, versions, um, Joshua goes up with him. He's right there with him as Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He's right there with him as overhearing the conversation between the two. Later on, we hear Joshua again. He's one of the spies that is sent into Canaan. 
Then Moses says, okay, pick a person from every tribe, send them in, check it out, and report back to us. Ten of them came out saying, look, those guys are huge. They're going to crush us. Joshua and Caleb uh, said, no, we got this. We can do this. And it's that point that spent, sent them back into the desert to wander for a lot longer because it was at that, that point God saw they were not ready. They hadn't left Egypt behind. They were still looking back to the good old days of when they were slaves and they got food and, and they were provided for. It's ironic the things that we consider good old days, isn't it? And later on we hear specifically in numbers, that Joshua was declared to be Moses' successor. And God filled Joshua with the spirit of wisdom. And then he gets his own whole book, the book of Joshua, follows the Exodus story, follows all the work that Moses had put into the people and carried them through the promised land, the teachings, the the retraining, the, the establishing who they are as people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they are not just separate people or even 12 tribes, that they are one people again. And now Joshua has to put that into action. He has to put that to work. And he does so. It's hard work, but he does so. Now, without going through the book of Joshua, and, and uh, detailing all of that, I want to trust you to be curious enough to do it for yourselves. Can I, can I, you know, yes, maybe, read the headline, maybe just read the descriptions, chapter descriptions, but go back and look at it. It's a great story. I have a lot of respect for Joshua. He seems to have been a man who took on leadership role almost reluctantly. Almost reluctant. He doesn't express reluctance, but it's like, I guess so. You know, you ever been that? I, I guess I can do this. And he does it. And he does it very well because of the things he learned along the way. So some of the lessons we learned from Joshua's life, I think that we can pull into our own lives, are at least three things, but we're only going to talk about three today, that there will be hard times. There will be hard times. I don't know at what point that Christendom started to believe that if we have faith, then everything will be sunshine and roses all the time. I don't know when that happened. Because it's clear in Scripture that that's not the case. Ever the case. When people are blessed, we think, blessed, oh yeah, that's nice. We can sit back and everything's good. Blessing usually is followed, maybe even always, followed exactly with accountability and and a job to do that's not easy there will be hard times another lesson that we learn is that God remains he will never leave or forsake he is always present doesn't leave us to our own selves and the third is that God will enable us as his vessels when we surrender our will to his so let's take a look at each of those. That there will be hard times. There will be hard times. And it's okay. It's not a sign of, of a lack of faith. It's not a sign of, of anything except that there are hard times. 
The thing to remember is that God provides for us in the midst of it. After the Israelites re-enter the promised land, they have to work really hard to retake that land. The first ten spies who said, this is going to be hard, too hard, they were only, only a little bit wrong. They were wrong in that they couldn't do it, but they weren't wrong in their descriptions. They worked really hard. And Joshua had already been training to be the military leader that they needed to be all the way back with the Malachites. God also was preparing Joshua to be the the spiritual leader as he took Joshua along with Moses up to the mountaintop. And God was providing confidence for Joshua as God encouraged Moses to then encourage Joshua in his tasks. Because there will be trials and there will be difficulties. God provides. He provides ability. He provides encouragement. He provides strength. God is faithful. And when we accept whatever call it is in our lives to work on God's behalf, on behalf of God's kingdom, God makes it possible. It wasn't until that Moses passed and leadership was handed over that God filled Joshua with a spirit of wisdom. It wasn't until that point. Joshua was getting ready in other ways, but he may not have been very wise about putting those things to good use. But we know that things are hard in, in life and hard in the world and maybe hard personally in our, uh, within ourselves. And there are different passages and scriptures that we go to. One of these is Joshua. I will never leave or forsake you. And it's not just God's word to J- Joshua. It's God's word to us. But one of the one, one, another one I love is from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Talking about struggle. Talking about what's on the other side of struggle. Paul writes to the Romans, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. We boast in our afflictions. Knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God doesn't promise us that things are going to be easy, but he provides for us in the midst of life struggles. Next, that the, the lesson that God is with us always, always. It's in the reality of difficult times that we, that we are aware of God's presence sometimes, more than we are in others. But also acknowledging God's presence in the midst of our lives in the great times and even in the mundane. Sometimes it's in the mundane things, the everyday things, that we forget God is with us. In the great times, we can be grateful and thankful. In the hard times, we can lean hard on on God's grace and God's presence. But in those mundane things of life, we just start going through the motions. But to remember that God is present and active in every aspect in our lives. But we see God's presence with with Joshua and the people of Israel as they start to reclaim the promised land. As they left the the wandering in the wilderness, they crossed the River Jordan. If you've seen pictures of the River Jordan, in some places it's barely a creek. 
But other places, especially in the springtime, the runoff from, the, from Mount Hermon as the ice and the snow melts, it is a rushing, rush, uh, strong river. And this was the case when they came to the Jordan River. And God did as God had done with the Red Sea, and he stopped the water so the people could cross. God just is to tell them to go over there. He helped them get to where he was sending them. The story that Devin said, reclaiming Jericho, it is the most ridiculous battle plan any of us have ever heard. March around the city, blow some trumpets, and shout. You know, do it a bunch of times, but, you know, that should be enough. It was. Not because of the marching, and not because of the shouting, and not because of the trumpets, because God was with them. And, this is an important and, and, they were faithful. They trusted God. And they obeyed. I imagine they felt ridiculous. I really do. Paul talks about being fools for Christ. They were ahead of time. Ahead of their time. But they were faithful. And the walls fell down. There are plenty of other places in Scripture where we read about God's faithfulness, God's presence among us at uh, all times and in all places. Uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, as he's preparing to leave the disciples behind to do the work that he has set them to do is before he ascends to the Father, he says this in uh, Matthew 8, 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, them being the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. This is our mission statement, by the way, for the church universal. This is the mission of the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul writing again to the church in Rome. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus. God is ever-present, never leaves us or forsakes us. And lastly, is about the, uh, embracing that God's will be done. That God's will be done, not my will, but thy will. It seems to me that Joshua lived his whole life in submission to somebody else. First, it was as a slave in Egypt. In submission as a slave in Egypt. Then it was to, to the authority of Moses, because Moses was sending him to do these things. He was submitting to Moses' authority. And then even after Moses had gone to his grave and handled, handed the, the leadership uh, responsibility over to Joshua, he still seemed to be in submission. But to who? You know, to God. It wasn't his mission. It wasn't his vision. It was God's mission and God's vision that he was, had taken to be a part of himself 
And he was enacting around the people and among the people of Israel and calling them to be a part of the same. This comes from surrender. It's a word I, I, I like to use about surrender. We surrender ourselves to God. We surrender our will to God's will. You're probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer, I'm guessing, right? Well, most of us. I'm, I shouldn't assume that everybody is, but many of us are, and if you're not, we're going to pray. Well, we, did we pray it already? We're going to pray it later. We're going to pray it later. In that prayer, this line is important. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a prayer that everybody else's will follows God's will. It's a prayer that everybody's will, including mine, will follow God's will. It's a prayer of surrender in that one phrase in what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's the longest struggle of our lives because our fallen nature always wants to reclaim leadership. It always wants to take first place. It always wants to say, I've got this. Just watch. Or not. It seems in Joshua's life and in the life of other faithful followers of God that when we submit our will to God's will, amazing and wonderful things happen on large scale, but also on small scale. I think most of the work of the kingdom is done on a small scale. It is done between one follower of Jesus and another person. As they are an example, an expression of the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. When we recognize that we need God in every moment of our lives, it helps us to clear out the, the, the mess and the and the cloudiness of our own selves, of our own judgment, of our own will, of our own stuff, and turn it over to God. Because ultimately, when we recognize that it's by God's grace, that is only through God's grace that we can recognize God's presence in our lives. It's a wonderful gift of God. In our, in our muddled, messy minds, we don't see God at work. We forget that, and whether it's for the first time or ongoing throughout our lives, it's God's grace that it makes us able to see God at work. It is by God's grace that we are led to the person of Jesus Christ who is able to restore the broken relationship between God and humanity. It's only by God's grace that we're able to welcome Jesus to be active in our lives and for us to say yes to being active in him. And it's only by God's grace that we're able to continue exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and growing in his likeness. But this all comes through surrender. It comes through surrender. Little bits at a time, sometimes big. Your will be done on earth, in me, as it is in heaven. That all begins with us. There are, there are a lot of lessons from Joshua. There's a great lesson, a lot of lessons about leadership from Joshua. There are a lot of lessons about other things. And I love how his story ends. Toward the end, end of the story, it says, As for me and my house, 
we will follow the Lord. He was a man of his family too. Of all these other things, he was a family man. And a man who continued to lift up the Heavenly Father to his family and to his kin. Previous weeks, following weeks, we're, we're continuing to look at folks from Scripture. We're trying to avoid using the word characters from Scripture because I think in our English literature trained brains, characters implies uh, a fictional character. These are not fictional characters. These are folks who lived and breathed and walked with God. And as we explore their lives, their lives were very different and their calls were often very different. But they shared one thing in common, that God provided for them in the midst of that call. In their weakness, God made them strong. In their inability, God made them able. In their willfulness, God broke their will so that their they may surrender their wills to that of, their will to that of God's. There are a lot of folks from Scripture to learn from. There are a lot of folks around us, saints of the church, who walk very closely with Jesus for us to learn from. We're not meant to walk this world alone. And not simply by acknowledging the presence of God through the Holy Spirit with us always, but looking around us. God gave us the church through Jesus Christ. He gave us one another to be a support and to be a strength and to help us to walk in the ways of Jesus himself. May we continue to listen to God's will and way. May we continue to be open to his spirit's call and may we surrender our wills to his. Amen.